Hello, Dallin. Hey, Kara. How's it going? It's going all right. Um, we are in episode two of our podcast. Admittedly, we have not had time to um, like even get feedback from y'all. So if That's someone true. gives us a game changer, um, we'll work it in probably later. Very though. true. Hello to everyone out there. And thanks for tuning in for episode two. Um, should I say what we're talking about today, Dallin? No, let's leave it a surprise. Yes, okay. let's talk about, <laughs> let's, yeah. So I think one of the reasons Dallin and I thought about kind of jumping on this episode is A, we had a four-day weekend because of fall break. Um, so, you know, and also because this is a very timely topic and we were going to talk today about the pandemic. COVID-19 and it's the thing that has completely changed our society over the course of about seven months. Does it seem like yeah. seven months, Dallin? It's, time is weird. It, it doesn't, it doesn't. Like on the one yeah. hand, it seems like, we shut, like we've been shut down forever. Yeah. Right? Like it could have been, someone said that like 2020 is like the worst decade of <laughs> in recent history and I so think, many I mean, changes are I hard i think that. yeah it's just been but change after time, change like kind of the lack like kind of just the homogeneity of days between march and now also yes. kind of makes it feel like it hasn't been all that long like we sh you know we could have shut down a month ago or two years ago it's hard to tell so, Dallin, it seems to me that people have learned something about themselves or their relationships during, especially quarantine. What about for you? Did you learn anything about yourself? <sighs> wow. Jeez. That's, that's not on our list of talking points. Well, Where's I'm a therapist. I just Man. feel these questions. <laughs> Did I learn anything about myself? I think it's been really interesting to see people's responses because there are like a lot of introvert that are saying things like this is fine <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> honestly i wish society was more like this all the time yep and they're on one far end right like that's not most people and then the other half of people are like this is the worst year of my life yes. everything sucks because they really miss that social interaction absolutely and i would say for myself i'm somewhere in the middle of that mm -hmm. like i've been i there are definitely a lot of things i've enjoyed about just like not not having to go into school and just playing with things digitally and having yep. a lot of time and space to consider things on my own like yeah. i'm i'm fairly balanced in that respect where like i do appreciate those kind of introvert things but mm -hmm. then also there are days when i'm like ah, i just want to be able to like go out and not wear a mask, how about? And you can definitely see the same responses in our students. What you mentioned, that array of, <clears throat> if a student is such a homebody, such an introvert, this maybe wasn't so bad. But then another student is very outgoing, really likes people, and this has been a really hard struggle for them. What I learned about myself is I, I have a tendency to do too much, and so it forced me not to, and then strangely, wow, I sure felt more relaxed. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's that stress I was having. I was overdoing it all the time. Shoot. <laughs> all right. Sorry, that wasn't on the list, but I thought of it. What? So we made a, oh, see, that just shows our growth. We made a list. That's one of the new things we did. Hey, did you hear about these new things called lists? We could use them for our podcast, we said, and then we did. All right. So, okay. So now we're back in school, right? We have um, students in the building again. 
We do. At after... a much smaller capacity. Yeah. And after seven months of having no students in the building at all, seven months. Right. I don't know if um, our parents and families know this or really, really fully understand this, but we teachers and staff have been back in the buildings back in August. So when we would have had students come, we've been back in the buildings. And it was really, really odd because I know a lot of us, you and you and me, I know, we really enjoy having students, and that's part of what we like about our jobs. And not having them there... Yeah, they definitely bring a certain energy yeah. to the room. And I've found, too, that like when we're all online, then and even working with my other school, like I put less... At the other school I work at, I'm making lessons and putting lessons out there and things. But even so, when we're online, I'm usually helping students with, like, technical things how to submit assignments Mm -hmm. but like having kids back really brings the content back that i really like talking about like i don't spend a lot of time helping kids understand photosynthesis and cellular respiration on over the phone like that's just not a thing that it's easy to bring up or discuss or delve into like it is in person so i appreciated the content coming back and i know you have a love for well i know you love science because you pick up all kinds of gross bugs in our school building and and talk about them (laughs) which is cool but kind of weird sometimes (laughs) yeah i mean i got to work in an entomology lab right right in my misspent youth as it were. Yeah, and so but that's that's the hard thing. Our students had been missing Dallin picking up that random cricket and telling you about its lifespan <laughs> <laughs> hopes and dreams. No. <laughs> yeah, that's what I focus on with crickets. People always ignore their inner lives, you know? But I think that, that doesn't do them justice. Poor crickets and beetles. They have inner lives, maybe. I don't even think they have the brain capacity for that, but whatever. Yeah, they probably don't. No, they're just surviving. They're pretty dumb. Let's talk about coming back to the building, too, because one of the things, honestly, for me, the worst thing about having students back, here it comes. I hope y'all are paying attention. You know what it is for me? What is it? Now that kids are back? What? Masks. I dislike wearing a mask all day, every day. And when the kids weren't in the building, when we were alone in our rooms, we didn't have to wear masks. But right, now no the people. kids are back, they have to wear masks, and we have to wear masks. And I it's gotta not your say, favorite. I don't like the masks. Now, the masks are interesting because um, I definitely have noticed where both our students and adults have turned masks into sort of a fashion statement. Um, our boss is our principal, Stacy, is a very to me, she's very fashion conscious. She always looks nice. And I don't have that skill. Like people will give me clothes to wear and then I'll wear them. And then if you think I look nice, it's probably because somebody gave me something like like our registrar. <laughs> she's been giving me dresses lately that are like, why not? But Stacy just she's... has a good eye for that kind of thing. And her masks match her outfit. I don't know if you noticed. No. (laughs) Honestly, I haven't noticed so much. Right. Well, now you'll notice it now that I brought it up. So she, the other, like she had this like maroon mask that perfectly matched her very cute maroon pants. And it's like so Stacy. Now I can picture it. Yeah. She's very put together. I envy that quality. 
I have like a box of cheap disposable masks that I bought early <laughs> on in the pandemic. Sometimes I'll get like an N95 mask from the school. And then I have just a couple of fabric reusable masks. One of them was made by the great English teacher, Lisa Parnaby, who's yes. my alter ego at both of our schools. <laughs> and because we share rooms at both of our schools. So it's kind of like a Batman Bruce Wayne situation. What which one's which? Person? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you Batman or is Lisa Batman? Lisa's Batman. I mean, I th- oh, <laughs> I was going to say, I think we both know who's Batman and leave it at that. But the point is, I have just a couple reusable masks that I reuse frequently. And my yes. plan is that if this pandemic continues long enough, over time, I will gradually accrue more reusable masks and those are the ones i'm wearing i don't want to buy them i don't want to coordinate them like i thought about looking like chemistry teacher masks right with like test tubes and stuff on them and then i'm like i don't want to embrace this i also have masks made by lisa our english specialist and they're really i really enjoy lisa's masks and then i know for whatever reason she really enjoys making them Wait, did she so it's kind of cool. Than, that... Did she give you more than one? Yeah, I uh, she what? I yeah I have I have like five she like. Well, I, I, I donated to the cause a bit to say thank you because, you know, I'm very nice. Just kidding. And my daughters, she made some for my daughters and they really like them. So I, have, I need like, to talk to Lisa about getting more masks. She does make good masks. Wow. We might cut out this whole section. Now, okay, science guy, tell us why they're useful. Well, the main idea is just that they, they stop the transmission. So they said really early on, and it's, it's true, that the main reason you wear masks is so if you have coronavirus, you're not spreading it to others. It's, it's a secondary purpose of the mask is if someone else has coronavirus, it'll be a little bit harder to spread it to you. But generally, the idea behind masks is just that these... These aerosols that you breathe that carry coronavirus don't travel as far because they're obstructed. I I think we've both, I know I've been out in public more than once where people get really, really angry about the masks. And I think what's interesting is for the most part, our students, even I feel like if they are seeing that at home, they're not reflecting that so much. And to me, that's just one of those ways that it seems as if kids adapt more quickly to things what do you think Hmm. no that's a really interesting point i've been surprised too at the like i really thought when kids come back it would be like put your mask on Mm -hmm. hey you need to keep your mask on hey keep wearing your mask and it really hasn't been that way like you're right the kids have been really adaptive and have really and have been really remarkably good about always keeping their masks on which makes it interesting that you see this quote unquote kind of bad behavior from adults more being like, I don't want to wear a mask or whatever. And it's like, well, seriously, it's like a, to me, it seems like a relatively simple thing to do to be kind to the people around you. Um, I, but you're right. Like you said that it can be irritating to be wearing it for a few hours. And yeah, I agree. I I think that it's, especially you have a beard. And, you know, so I haven't, itchy. I haven't grown my beard yet, so I don't know. I can't, <laughs> I can't relate to the pain. <laughs> it's so itchy. But then, okay, but here's the reason that I haven't shaved off the beard. 
And admittedly, um, it would make the mask seal even better. So from a hygienic standpoint, it would be a smart move. But full honesty, part of the reason I haven't shaved off my beard is because I'm afraid of mask knee. I think that my oh, beard yeah. is an insulating layer yeah. between my skin and the mask that could otherwise start to look like some of our high schoolers look. And that's I my know. worst fear. I've definitely had some like kind of irritation where the mask covers agreed. That's a whole other issue of 2020 mask knee, (laughs) the acne from masks. And the other thing about having a beard is if I did start to break out, the beard would cover it. Right. So like, I think specifically if we're focused on pandemic and schools or students, even that in itself is such a complicated issue. And one thing we talked about before we started recording There's not really a right or wrong answer to this. Go back. Don't go back. There's a risk either way. You could run the risk of impacting learning if you don't don't come back. But then then the big risk of this deadly virus, that's a huge risk. I don't know. What do you think, Dallin? Yeah. No, I think that that's always been the key because as as soon as the shutdown started or very soon after the shutdown started, mental health specialists and mental health agencies started seeing an increase in a lot of yeah. these um, a lot a lot of these conditions like anxiety shot up yep. depression <clears throat> shot depression. up yep. um, there are real actual <laughs> medical dangers of isolation and we're asking yes. everyone to be isolated mm-hmm. so um, there was early on or even actually at the time we were going back to school the American Academy of P- Pediatrics was saying things like it might be even more dangerous for kids to be isolated at home than it is then like that's a greater risk to them potentially than having the coronavirus now it's worth noting that the american academy of pediatrics then walked that back and they're like well hold on maybe we didn't maybe maybe though maybe we um we expressed that a little more strongly than we meant to express that especially because concern Right. And especially because um, something that you were saying before we started recording that I think is a really, really important point is that you can look at the immediate effects of a thing like, okay, everybody's staying home now and oh no, everyone's depressed, everyone's anxious, nobody's learning and you can, you can react. And you should. You, of course, you get scared. However, as is often the case especially as we just said with students with kids they adapt and then (laughs) what takes us longer adults adapt um and when we do then the results start to look a little bit different you start to to mitigate what happens with being isolated yeah exactly and another place we saw a lot of reaction after well just really the end of the last quarter of last school year after we shut down in march was (laughs) Soon as we started online learning, there was a whole bunch of online learning doesn't work. Test scores are going down. Kids aren't learning as much as they used to learn. And I think that there's some truth to that. Like, I think that most students do do better when they have a school to go to. Yeah. But I also think that even just speaking from a personal perspective, but I think that I think that studies overall bear this out, that obviously when you shut everything down and make all these teachers that never had to teach online, online teachers, like, of course our metrics Mm -hmm. are going to go down. Of course we won't be as effective as we were in the classroom because it's a completely new format. But I really want to just advocate for the fact that there is 
a good and effective way to teach online. Yes. And the more we're shut down, I think the better the better of those outcomes will be and the more that we'll see that um, online education is really a valid method of education. I agree with you. And even the good thing about um, educators and students getting better about online education is that I don't I don't think either one of us is advocating for not having in-person schooling. Um, but I think instead what we are advocating for is that this could be a component that can be used wisely. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I don't know if we're advocating for anything here, but I would say that just because like in time, like you were saying, just because in times of rapid change, it's easy to react to what's happening right now. Right instead now. Instead of letting yep. some things play out and see where we end up. Yep. Um, a lot of things like online education being more or less effective are things that need just a little bit of time before you can see the actual results. And I think that in this case, um, a, a lot of the, the, the greatest fears that people had at the end of last school year um, are being largely mitigated this school year as we get better at teaching online. I like that. One thing, I want to give a shout out to my fourth grade daughter's teacher, Mr. Meyer, Mr. Nicholas Meyer. He is a teacher at Prairie Ridge Elementary, so that's okay because that's a shout out to a school in our district too. I think he does such a good job of saying, this is the challenge and then here is the strength that can be built from it or garnered from it or... Um, developed from it. I love that he does that. It's so val. It's so valuable that he said this is a thing that's hard and the kids are struggling, and this is what they're learning. This is the cool thing that they're doing. I love that. It just makes me feel better because you, sometimes the news is so bleak these days. It seems like, or maybe all the time, and I love that flavor. Which can we talk about PSG? And so here's something fun. I didn't know. I mean, it makes sense, but there's a name for it that Dallin taught me today. And I get I didn't realize it was named. Can we talk about that? Yeah, let's let's just uh, let's just skip skip down here on the list. Again, we have a list. We have um, a list, but it's so cool. So, well, so I was listening to the to uh, actually another podcast that um There are no other podcasts. This is it. No. I don't, well, now there doesn't need to be. There have been, but now that we have a podcast, <laughs> um, I think that the rest of them can just kind of hang up their hats. <laughs> but, so it was talking about just like PTSD as a societal phenomenon. And that's a word that you have, um, that you've had thrown around a lot these days, like yeah. kind of our collective trauma and PTSD from the virus. And first of all, first mini soapbox here, I think that we super are overusing that. Post-traumatic stress like, disorder? Like even, yeah, to to say like I had to spend three months mostly indoors right. video conferencing people. So that's why I'm experiencing PTSD is really just like a super disservice to people that actually suffer from PTSD True. from actually having things happen. So I think that I think that just like our news cycle has gotten just a little bit out of hand in claiming how traumatized we all are or should be. But right. there's also another phenomenon that happens when people experience hardship, and it's just PTG. That stands for post-traumatic growth. And the classic example of PTD is when people have a terminal diagnosis or when people um, 
when people beat cancer and things, a lot of times they'll say things like, this is the best thing that ever happened to me because when I thought I was going to die or the fact that I only have a certain amount of time to live, that made me reconnect with my family and it made me less materialistic yeah. and it made me want to fight for causes that I care about while I'm still here and things like that. And I think that that's also an excellent thing to keep in mind during this time of, of, um, of isolation and during this, this, this time of, of being a little bit more introspective and reassessing all of our values as, a, as individuals and as society is that this could be an ideal time to really focus on the things that matter most and potentially experience some PTG, post-traumatic growth. Which I like. I'm going to give a quick therapist um, sidebar for, I guess, the idea if a person felt that, I, I guess, because I agree with you, you could definitely overuse a diagnostic term like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I think that a person experiencing, say, like swearing by that experiencing PTSD from quarantine would, I would guess, be equating the trauma with um, isolation, which, as you mentioned, can cause some pretty bad effects on different people. Yeah, well, so, yeah, so I'm not arguing that people aren't experiencing trauma or that maybe that, like, legitimately there is no PTSD arising from, from this experience. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that collectively I feel like we've been kind of using the term PTSD a little bit more casually than we, sure. than we should be. I can see that. I can definitely see that. And it's also kind of funny to think about. It sort of also makes me think of that idea of of first world problems. The other morning I woke up and my internet and my television didn't work. And generally, yeah, I know, generally I would, I would, if I heard somebody say that, I'd be like, well, read a book. But my personal response was, I just want to watch this thing while I drink coffee. And I was like, super upset by this very first world problem um it's funny that you catch yourself and i think that that's also kind of happened with quarantine like it these are problems that are not you know the heavy level problems it's things like i want to go to a restaurant well that's nice and i'm sorry you can't go right now but you know do you have food well yeah but i want to go to a restaurant <laughs> like it's it's hard you're right it's hard to kind of like weigh what people right. are going through well and that makes me think like an area where I've become kind of frustrating myopic, especially over the summer and things when I'm alone at home all the time is things like purchases. Like yeah. I'll kind of <laughs> agonize over like a $20 purchase on amazon.com. Why? Because I'm bored. So I, I, I end up just like flipping it over in my head. It's like, do I need a shoe rack or do I not need a shoe rack to put my shoes on to go next to my door when I'm going out? And like oh, over the summer, there are days where that was my day. And like looking back on it, it's like, okay, that's pretty ridiculous. Like A, it's not that much money and it's a pretty small purchase. And B, like it doesn't matter anyway on any level. But like when we have time alone to ourselves. That's what you like, got. Sometimes your mind <laughs> just takes you places. We have our curriculum for our school is online, whether it's a quarantine or not. We work with Florida Virtual School so that our kids have that curriculum. We have always advocated our school is meant for the students to come in the building to work, even if they're working on online curriculum. 
And one of the main reasons we do that is the numbers over the years have shown that students who come in the building do a lot better than students who don't. And now we're in this situation where we're having to weigh school performance with physical safety. That's a weird thing to weigh. Like it's almost like they don't equal out. I don't know. It's hard that it's still wanting to advocate they come in to do better on school. But it's like I'm not saying I want your child or your family to get sick at all. Yeah, this kind of segues into something else that I want to talk about, which is just risk assessment and how we handle the virus and things because okay because this has been interesting to me is that really this whole coronavirus this whole shutdown has been just an area of risks and trade-offs that all of society has had to deal with right Mm -hmm. so we have to balance shutting down and really tanking our economic growth versus saving lives like we have to do a lot of trade-offs of that sort and it's very much the same thing coming back to school is it worse for students to be at home to prevent their parents from working because they have to be taken care of at home right um but to be safe from coronavirus while being susceptible to all sorts of mental things right or is it better to send them to school risk coronavirus but let their parents have more ability to get out of the house and to work, go work knowing mm-hmm. their children are attended and um and then just bear the risk of the of passing on coronavirus more than would otherwise be the case um that's tricky it is yeah. tricky and i get that people have really strong feelings on both sides yeah absolutely i would say as with so many things, I think that it's good to find a middle ground. Yeah. I was just looking at some numbers. Um, so, so far, our best approximation of the death rate from coronavirus is that overall it's about 0.6%. And this is a controversial number that people have arrived at through all sorts of statistical analysis and not by the way you think we would arrive at. Because if you were to just take our cases in the United States and divide how many deaths there are by how many cases of coronavirus there are, you'd end up with a number closer to 2.5%, which is four times greater than 0.6%. But the reason that experts have arrived at 0.6% is just assuming... um, a certain number of coronavirus cases that are never tested for and right. um, never show up at the hospital and things like this. So I'm going to stick with that number, 0.6%. That's, that's the death rate from coronavirus right now, as far as we can tell. Um, that's an interesting number because here's, if it was, if it was 3%, if it was right. 5%, then it would be an absolute no-brainer. Of course, shut everything down, keep everyone inside. That's way too many people to lose. One in 20, one in 40, way too many people to lose. But we're at this weird point where it's 0.6%, and your your seasonal flu mortality rate is about 0.1%. So we're talking about six times the death rate of a seasonal flu. Right. I think another hard thing that happens where in our job is that the the kids we teach are not in a very high death 
risk category. And the problem, of course, is who are they carrying the virus to if they get it? So maybe we're not worried so much that a student will get really sick if they get the virus, but then they go home to grandma or grandpa or out in public to other people's grandmas and grandpas. And then that's, I think that's, it's just like you can't see it. So you don't, maybe it's, maybe if the visual was more there, like you and I were kind of talking about the Spanish flu, those comparisons. And like you'd mentioned with the Spanish flu, more young people would get it. And that impact, that makes a huge impact on what people decide for that, for school, especially. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely true. I've been annoyed by this, this, all this rhetoric about, yeah, send kids back to school. Kids don't, kids are less likely, even if they get coronavirus, they're right. much less likely to die for it. Like it's, it's, it's largely a non-issue. If the, if the whole country was populated by 16 and 17 year olds, yeah. <laughs> you really wouldn't have a problem. Right. But <laughs> I, the, my first thought is, what about your teachers? Yeah, like, well, yeah. There's a whole lot of conversation about, like, risk is low for kids. Send all the kids back to school. It's fine. And you're like, but wait <laughs> a minute. There are other people at school that are not 16, 17. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly. And actually, we've seen that play, in, play out in our district recently, just that it is... Those of us not lucky enough to be 16 with a 16-year-old immune system. <laughs> um, and as you get older, too, you, then you have other health care issues, and they seem to correlate with the virus in a bad way. And it's, yeah, exactly. It's a much more, that's why it's just so, but then I have to say, I don't want to risk anybody's life, but I'm so grateful that students have been able to come back. And I'm grateful that we've been able to do it in the safest way we can. Well, so here we go, Dallin. Does this mean I keep having the sense that this is now going to be pandemic or no pandemic? This is going to be a permanent change. We are going to have online schooling be at least a piece of student education forevermore. What do you think about it? Wow, that's a that's a <laughs> that's a bold call you just made. I would say that yes, I would say that online education was a thing before the pandemic yes. and now it's an even bigger thing because of the pandemic and yep. so after the pandemic it's going to continue to be an, a bigger thing than it ever was before. Now in public education I'm not so sure. Right, when because you, you have to be able to reach everybody. When you think of your average brick and mortar schools, the fact that we've been doing it half over video conferences and half in person and all this mm -hmm. stuff, I think that as people really look for a return to normalcy, I think that they'll largely be eager to kind of put the webcams away mm -hmm. and have us and have as many students as possible back in a traditional classroom and everyone will kind of breathe a sigh of relief at that. So when I think of my job at a brick and mortar school, which is where I am when I'm not at Spoga, I kind of think that the online piece will mostly go away eventually. But as it just in the wider in the in the wider scheme of things, I do think that online education is a growing component of the educational system. I think we've seen it in colleges where you know now there are you when you now in college even before the pandemic 
they would have those big classes, but then they learned that, you know what, we could actually put a lot of our classes online. And so I know when I went to grad school to get my master's um, starting in 2013, um, already, because I, I went to grad school in Denver, and I was teaching in Frederick, and so sometimes I would have classes where I wouldn't have to drive down to Denver, which was really nice, because a big portion of the class would be online. And so the convenience, I think, has already been tapped into, at least from colleges, which so then this, I feel like, might just maybe move public schools in the same direction because they we've had to. Yeah, I, it's possible. And I would say at the very least, like these, these kind of strategies that already existed, like flipped classrooms where the mm-hmm. teacher where the teacher um, films themselves giving a lesson and then has the students watch that and then it, they come to class just to get help. So yep. strategies like that will certainly grow. Yeah. And I've even appreciated, yeah, that ability to record things ahead of time and give yep. it to kids as a video rather than having to stand up in front of them and um, talk at them for that same amount of time. Yeah. So let's go ahead and close. And just because this has gone on for a while, um, I think, I think big... we've got something here. I think so too. And I feel like it's really reflecting how we've really lived, all of us in this society have really lived through something in the last few months. It's been so many changes, so many opinions. Um, it, sometimes it's just annoying and sometimes it's life and death. That's a, that's a, that's a huge issue when it keeps teetering bet- between those two things. Right. Everyone is in this super difficult position of, mm-hmm. of suddenly having to weigh the pros and cons of things that they've never mm-hmm. had to weigh the pros and cons of before. Right. Um, I think that as much as I would like to give like some sort of answer, some sort of like major takeaway from all this, I think that all we can really advocate at this point is just that people continue to make decisions for themselves as to what is an acceptable risk for themselves and their family and what isn't. Yep. And for for ourselves, I think both of us kind of come down on, yes, we're going to wear masks. Yes, yep. we're going to social distance. Yep. Yes, we're going to try and avoid unnecessary physical contact, especially mm-hmm. with, you know, with groups of people and things. Yep. But at the same time, I mean, I'm still a teacher for St. Vrain Valley School District, and whether I agree or not with their decision to have people come back to school or not, I'm going to be a part of it, right? Right. Like, I think that there are some authorities that we just have to say, like, they're in the position of making these decisions, and we're largely in a position of doing our best to abide by them. Absolutely. And I think I agree with you. And I think that doing our best is what I definitely see every day. I want, I want our families to take comfort in the fact that I don't think that you're not, if you choose to have your kids come back in buildings, we're not trying to make an environment where they're going to get sick, that we're doing as much as we possibly can to keep all of us from, from getting sick and to keep learning happening. And then since I'm the mental health person, I also want to really honor what what the what my students have been through, what their families have been through, um, and a huge gamut. I mean, we talked about first world problems, but then also to honor that there have been people losing homes, people losing jobs, people 
family members getting sick from that. I mean, it, it goes so deep into the really sad well um, that I, I think it's our main goal to just try to survive this in the healthiest way that we can mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all of it. The best we can. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There's no easy answers. It's definitely true. not. Who knew pandemics were so complicated? <laughs> yeah. Who oh my gosh. Man, you never just the things you never think you're going to live through. Yeah. Wow. Well, and then you do. And then maybe you learn something about yourself and your society and your family. Oh, there you go. I was going to say that was kind of a downer to end on, but I like that. (laughs) We're learning something about ourselves and our societies and our families. And one more silver lining here. I think that um, as much as this pandemic has kind of magnified some of the problems and the differences in our society, bringing those issues to the forefront is the first step towards having discussions about them and making some changes that in the long run could really benefit um, everybody. I think so too. I like that. I don't think we're just being toxically positive. (laughs) I think that's a fair statement. It's a fair possibility. That's what I'd say. I'd say that this opens, this opens the door for a lot of, a lot of potential changes um, that could could very well be largely positive and we might be we might look back on 2020 as a year of transition that led to um a lot of a lot of good things even. that makes me th- feel like you know how like if you're weightlifting or starting a new exercise at first it hurts at first you can't move the next day or two days and then you keep it up and you get stronger and you have muscles and endurance it's like that <laughs> It could be. <laughs> I don't. Okay, here's the here's here's the deal. I don't want to say that this is that pandemics are exercises for society. Definitely not saying that. Also, definitely <laughs> not saying what an awful that exercise. Prove as a result of this pandemic. I'm not saying that. I think that that's up to us. I think things right. could get better as a result of this pandemic, or they could get worse. But I think as long as we kind of carry with us the intention and the possibility and the hope that things will improve as a result of the pandemic, um, the more likely that is to happen. That's a growth mindset, Dallin. (laughs) That's what I'm all about. I like it. All right, so we already know what our third episode is about, so I hope y'all tune in. We're going to be talking about social media, which is, oh boy. you know, it's everywhere. Yep. <laughs> All the cool kids have social media. Uh, yeah, social media. <laughs> but thank you for listening. Um, we hope, we know this is the, the broadest, hugest, most impactful topic right now. And we we tried to do it some justice, but we know we did not cover everything. So hopefully we can get some feedback. Again, you can email me at crossland underscore, or underscore Kara at svvsd.org. Um, and then any constructive criticism thoughts anything like that what i think we got it dallin what do you think (laughs) yep i think that's it 
Email us your um, feedback. We definitely want to hear from you. We'll try and make this relevant to you as much as possible. We, we might have to revisit the topic of pandemic. Who knows? It's but, huge. Um, yep. That's where we're at. Okay. All right. It's been real, y'all. Peace out. Peace out.